Hello team, it's Fab here, founder and head teacher at All Marketing School and your Marketing BFF. I want to remind you that there is a special invitation for you to join us for the ALT Marketing Certification. Get certified as a positive impact strategy and make people fall in love with you and your work. Reclaim your time, understand the marketing foundations with a positive impact spin. If you are a marketing freelancer who wants to raise the quality of services and do more with less, or maybe you are an early stage marketeer ready to invest to gain real experience in building a strategy with purpose, or you're a marketing leader who wants to be recognized as a go-to expert and tackle new growth challenges. Whether you are beginners or whether you have some confidence into your strategy, we want to support you. We want to help you achieve your strategic goals, toss confettis in the air, and blast your favorite hype song as you get through eight incredible weeks with me and the rest of our faculty. Think about our certification as marketing training at university standards, not prices. So if you're ready to join us and you want to check out our incredible curriculum, all you have to do is go to amschool.click slash certification. I repeat, amschool.click slash certification to find out more and learn what you are going to go through in our eight weeks. From marketing foundations all the way to leadership and storytelling skills, we're also going to cover strategic marketing blocks and advanced marketing tools. Plus, you get workshops, seats, group work, and even timely panels with incredible experts in the field. So what are you waiting for? No, I mean it. Our next cohort is starting real soon. So make sure that you head to amschool.click slash certification to come and join us and learn how to market to hearts, not to brains. Welcome to Alt Marketing School. We are currently bringing together a new wave of marketers, just like yourself. We want to provide you with the skills to speak to your audience perfectly, empower clients with winning strategies to market their brands, champion their values, and make a positive impact in the online world. My name is Fab, and I'm your host. May the class begin. Hello team, and welcome back to Old Marketing School. My name is Fab, and as always, I am your host and head teacher. Even more so today as, by looking at the times, I can tell you that in just over a couple of weeks, I think just 10 days, the first ever cohort of Alt Marketing School is going to open. And I'm so excited. We worked so hard, both myself, all the faculty, the head, the teachers as well. We all worked to really make Alt Marketing School something special. And I'm so happy to be able to bring this to the world and to start making a difference the way that we want to do it. And it's fortuitous that today I'm talking to two incredible people and very funny people as well that also are here to make a difference in the world because today I'm talking to the uncertainty experts or I should say the creators of the uncertainty experts. But I would say that they are experts in their own rights. If you don't know what the uncertainty experts is, let me first explain what you're going to get in. The Uncertainty Experts is the first of its kind and is an interactive documentary scientifically proven to increase our ability to embrace the uncertainty within ourselves and the world around us. 
Working with UCL, it has become the world's largest experiment in uncertainty, with results already that rival more traditional methods such as CBT to address the world's anxiety crisis, and only one to use real-life stories as its driver. The two incredible humans I'm going to talk to today and the creators of The Uncertainty Experts are Sam Conniff, and he has always been an advocate of business as unusual, as you will tell from our chat today, operating at the intersection of brands, policy and social innovation to create a positive change in the world. He wrote a book about stepping back from being a CEO and becoming an international bestseller and launched a global movement of pirates, rewriting the rules of life, society and work. You also will be joined today by Catherine. So it is, um, as I call it, three-way podcast. And Catherine Templer-Lewis is a creative scientist with a background in neuroscience and cognitive psychology. She's the lead scientist of the Uncertainty Experts, and she is also working with University College London to uncover the mechanisms behind our ability to turn uncertainty from a place of anxiety into opportunity. I really hope you're going to love this episode and you're going to get so excited. You're going to check out when the latest live Uncertainty Experts documentary is running, which is going to be very soon. So make sure that you check that out as well in the show notes. And obviously, if you want to join us, there is still time to join the old marketing school certification, our six-week bootcamp to help you level up as a marketer and not just develop your career, but also make a more conscious, positive impact in the world. You just go to allmartinschool.com slash certification to join us. And now let's go on with today's show. to myself. Let me tell you why, Simon Catherine. I'm going to go with it. I was going to say we're going to have a three-way podcast and I thought, is this a wrong thing to say? But I'm going to go with it. We're back with a three-way podcast. Hello, you two. Hello. So exciting. Like X-rated podcast. Yeah, yeah. I love the sound of a three-way podcast. I like I like every single bit of intention, intention that you threw it in that sense. We should definitely go with that. So it's going to be happening in the metaverse. We're early adopters. <laughs> Yes, that's, you know what, obviously at All Marketing School, we talk a lot about, social is a big thing we talk about, and we've been looking at the way that, obviously, Metaverse has started to be a trend anyway, and then obviously, Facebook became Meta, and they were like, we're going to start taking ownership of that, and I just found this so interesting, obviously, we're going to talk about a lot of things today, and I think that there might be some crossovers here, but it's interesting to see, like, like how the gap is bridging much faster. Like, I wasn't expecting it to be this fast. And I think with Facebook dipping their toes, everybody's like, oh, my God, we need to get this inclusive experience, which I'm sure you've been looking at yourselves as well. Yeah, yeah I mean, from my point of view, it feels like it's not accelerated. It's this kind of eternal promise. Ever since I was a child and we watched Lawnmower Man, I've been being promised fucking the metaverse and then some headsets that is going to allow me to go and and that still fails to arrive with, and with the limited experience I've got of it. What's, what I've really got my head around is the meaning of the word meta. The project that we've been working on for the last year means I've heard it as a word so many times. I've even started using it. And you know when you start using a word that you don't really understand? I've definitely been there with meta. And now I understand it and really only properly understood it in the last few weeks um, as, as an awareness of self, an awareness of that thing. So a meta anything is that thing plus an also a meta human, a human with higher awareness of itself, which does make the Facebook thing remarkably funny that they decided at a moment of showing such low self-awareness that they decided to kind of define themselves under something of awareness. But what's really interesting, whether it's, you know, sticking another word on another bit of technology and hoping that that means it's new, 
is that perhaps in this moment of shifting sensibilities about what's important and a very important thing for any marketeer because I think the fundamental brief is changing is are we stepping into a more meta moment like of awareness of ourselves of the role of our business of our relationships between human beings and what selling them stuff means consumerism all of this like that's the really interesting I think application of what meta could mean right now not being resold the uh (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> the dream of an alternative universe. I know. Do you think Mark Zuckerberg has been Googling Meta to see what it means? Um, like, is it, is from a neuroscience perspective, Meta is really interesting because as we go through in, in the in the show, metacognition, this ability to be aware of our thinking is an incredible tool because it's hard and you have to take some practice, but you end up as, and we take people through this in the show, you know, becoming aware of your negativity bias, becoming aware of where you're, you're limiting yourself with fear. And I'm fascinated with the metaverse because it kind of proposes a, a provocation to everything we've been studying. We've been studying how humans are, you know, evolutionarily terrified in one sense of uncertainty, but uncertainty is absolutely inevitable. And we do everything we can to try and control everything around us to believe that it's not uncertain. Um, and what we've been seeing is if people can embrace uncertainty and you can measure that in a scientific way, because you measure anything, um, then they can be incredibly innovative and creative. And for me, the metaverse is quite interesting because it provides this very real sort of identical situation. We can go into the metaverse and we can just build echo chambers of ourselves if we really want to control the world around us, like we did with the Internet. And we can become very limited and we actually can control our digital reality. Or we can step into the fact that there's this digital realm where there's infinite possibility, where we can create, we can even change the laws of physics that we can't in the real world. And so as we, you know, in the real world, me and Sam are sitting here studying how we approach uncertainty uh, and whether we find, you know, finding highly anxious and trying, it limits us or whether we find it incredibly sort of this world of possibility. That will happen as we step into the metaverse. Are we going to just try and recreate little worlds that make us feel safe? Or are we going to think this is a place of possibility? You know, I want to ask you the question and I'm like, I've got, I've got my icebreaker questions there in the back of my head. So we'll go back to them. But and I want to ask you the question, where, which way do you think we would swing? Which like, obviously I think people are different, but I know that from, from the study, from the project, from everything you've been doing, which way do you think we would swing if once we are given access? And I also would say once it becomes like Tron style, I'm thinking about Tron now, but once it becomes more of, routine for everyone and it becomes like yeah let's just kind of jump into the metaverse or whatever you want to call it i'm kind of wondering which way do you think we're going to swing when i think we're going to try control i think we're going to embrace the uncertainty we're going to find it thrilling again it's a bit of an existential question to start with but i don't know wondering well human beings tend to follow certain patterns (laughs) and (laughs) not to be too damn with humans yeah, every single other time we've had, you know, new technologies or opportunities capable of connecting human beings and allowing us to transcend to new states of connectedness, awareness, and possibly take ourselves forward to a new realm of our evolution, we've ended up selling it slightly short and using it to sell us advertising. So the likelihood, <laughs> the likelihood of this being the transcendental platform through which we... Uh, step into the, the the kind of solutions that we need to tipping on the edge of our own existential crisis um i don't know seeing as mark zuckerberg's leading us uh, across it i don't know that it's, it's you know like you read the um what is it the, the great manifest the great hacker manifesto the dawn of the internet like every word of it i don't know that's the misname of it it's so promising so exciting you know tim Berners lee famous line this is for all of us 
you know, these these are the principles through which you know the BBC begins. You know, education. Inf- Every great technology seems to have fallen somewhat short of the promise that it could have for humanity. And I would love to have a good argument as to why this won't. And I'm trying to desperately think of a good positive argument. But I mean, I guess in one sense, you know, you look, I'm really inspired. I teach a lot at UCL and UAL and lots of universities, and I'm incredibly inspired by, by younger generations. And I know some incredible people who are, who are building and creating in the metaverse, and they are creating more diverse spaces, and they are creating places where there is more opportunity. And you can, you know, and it really addresses what does it mean, self sense of self in the metaverse? What does it mean for the brain? You know, interestingly, the brain, we, we know in the metaverse, if it's very good and content creation is getting really good now, it thinks it's real and it lays down memories. And so for that, for me, it's very interesting because, you know, what we studied a lot is, is our imagination and the body, the brain doesn't often know what's real or what's imagined. Uh, and so, you know, we use it in our study a lot as, as a hacking tool to hack the brain into a more positive mindset, because you can actually genuinely imagine something positive happening to you in the future. And this is what happens, you know, why when we're faced with uncertain events, our negativity bias takes over. We tend to imagine the worst and it does slightly become a self-fulfilling prophecy because you then, your brain sort of assumes, let's say it's, you know, you've got to do this sort of public speech and you're terrified of public speaking and then you imagine it going badly and then your brain thinks you're really bad at it because it doesn't know that was its imagination. But by actually positively, it's something we call conviction narrative theory, by positively imagining and inhabiting the good outcome your brain goes, oh, hang on a second. I actually did do really well at that speech. Therefore, I have more confidence. Therefore, I'm going to do better at it. You know, and it's really knowing how the brain works and knowing our inherent things like negativity bias in the face of, of all these uncertain moments and the power of the imagination is amazing when you start to be able to manipulate that. You know, fear as well is just an imagined thing. We fear something imaginary, not real, but we have a physical response. You know, and therefore, I think we have to be very careful in these digital realms we go into the metaverse and yet our brain doesn't necessarily know it's digital or real um so i think there's a big warning as well to really you know take these spaces seriously and and take our brains seriously and understand our brains and i think you know i for me science and neuroscience is never reductive it's always expansive the more we know about the way the brain works you know especially where this project started looking at the fear response towards uncertainty that we all naturally have as a protective system but when you start to understand that fear response and how it feels in the body and why your body's t- brain is trying to protect you, you can then actually master it, control it, accept it, and then start to sort of reprogram your brain into more positive spirals instead. I love what you mentioned that because obviously that's, that's at the core of, of the project itself, which we'll touch on as well in a second. But it also reminds me why we started all market, what we this is the royal we. I started all marketing school, I should say, because when it comes to the marketeers, I still found that I call the marketers, but I still found that it's great that we learn, as, as Sam pointed out, how to sell things to people. Let's put it this way. It's good that we learn how to tell stories, how to connect, how to engage with our audience. But I also believe that, especially as marketers, there's a lot of weight on the shoulders, especially for younger generations of sometimes carrying the weight of the brand, the messaging of a brand, tearing the stories. And there's a lot more responsibility than what we believe. So by creating the certification and the school, I wanted to create a safe space that can make marketing slightly different, more human, but also that could focus on the things that you talked about, understanding our beliefs, our mind, our confidence, and how that affects us both from a professional and personal level, which is obviously a lot of the learnings that you had from the project. 
before that, I'm going to squeeze in now my icebreaker questions. I got it. We're not breaking the ice. We're um, rekindling the fire because we already broke the ice. But I really want to know these now. I'm really curious. So I'm going to start with Catherine. And the this is um, the first question. And it's like, if you weren't doing what you're doing right now, your current job, what would you be doing instead? If you could do another job, if you could choose to do one other thing, what would you be doing instead? You know, my, my mind's instantly gone backing dance on top of the pops in the 90s, but I don't think that's a very good... I think it would make me really happy, though. Uh, <laughs> for many scientific reasons. <laughs> well, it's interesting because I've, I've always sat in between sort of science and arts and creative arts and, and often felt like a bit of a fox jumping between the two. Uh, and I think it took me a long time to accept that that I wasn't a creative and that I wasn't creative. I worked with a lot of design studios creating big immersive experiences. And it took me a long time to understand that my role in that was actually about inspiration rather than creation. Um, so I think I would, yeah, other than backing dance, obviously, I think I would I'd probably, I'd go, I'd, I'd go into one direction. I'd either go back to the labs, become some hardcore geek scientist and try and like cure the pandemic or something, or I'd go right to the other extreme and be a sort of huge creative creating things because I think I love inspiring people and it's you know it's my my soul's work is to find research and, and to inspire people but then I sort of disappear like a ghost into the night and I think creating something that you can really own and belongs to you and has legacy must be quite amazing but actually just a backing dancer <laughs> I, I love all the options to be honest I, th- I think you can even combine them I don't know in which universe yeah. I could see that working Sam what about yourself uh, I'd be Tintin Well, maybe in the metaverse you can. (laughs) Uh, I don't need to be in the metaverse to be Tintin. Uh, Yeah, I always wanted to be Tintin. Somewhere between investigative journalist and a detective. Um, And if, you know, I mean, there's there's a few few undertones within Tintin that probably aren't that appropriate for the 21st century or the person that I really want to be. So maybe we'll we'll leave those aside. I'd be a policeman, undoubtedly. I'd love... I'm... I, I don't know fully all the reasons why, but I've always felt very compelled to some kind of sense of duty to contribute, to help, to not walk past. And it seems to me one of the most direct and fulfilling, and I'm sure fucking frustrating ways of doing that would be in frontline delivery. And I don't think I've got the patient or academicness to make it through as a doctor. And yeah, I've just always been fascinated by, by being a, uh, a copper. And I've looked at it many times when things have been a bit difficult. And if the pay was better, I'd be in. So maybe that's why t- being Tintin would be allow me to do it. So I could be <laughs> a famous reporter in my own in my own right of being a detective. I love that. Thank you for that. Now, for my second uh, icebreaker question, I'm going to adapt it actually to start going back into the project and talking a bit more about it. Usually it would be what is the biggest piece of advice about um, marketing or business that you disagree with, but I'm actually going to go slightly differently and almost ask you what is what what was one of the biggest misconceptions that you were able to either recognize or bust, I would say, when it comes through obviously working on the project and the project itself. I would also say, because we talked about it a lot of the times as the project, maybe we can give a bit of context about obviously uncertainty experts and what it is about. But yeah, was there any myth, any misconception, something that really came out through the study, the research, or even the reception at the beginning that you busted or that was clear that people had in their heads? I would love to hear that as well. And I don't know, Sam, if you want to jump on for this one. Yeah, I think, I think, I think there's a lot to be said about that from within how the project works. And I think Catherine, I'll leave you to 
mull on that because I think there's some really interesting things for people about the conceptions. So I'll say something directly from a marketing point of view because most of my experience is in marketing. There's a fine line and I don't think we've done the best job of it and on how you try to present something that is new. It's kind of a necessary brief within marketing, right? No one wants to say, here's some stuff that you've been sold before with a new name, even though that's you know 99% of the brief. So when you are creating something genuinely new, there's a fine line there, isn't there? So we brought together a number of different genres. Um, there's aspects of this project that are an online course. And I went and did a, an online course about making online courses and found it to be an incredibly crowded market with a very low baseline. And I didn't feel like it did justice to what we we're talking about. And as the creative of the, uh, the project developed, it became much more look and feel of a documentary. And that really excited me personally, because I'd never made a documentary. What a great way of storytelling. I love documentaries. They're having a real surge. So that felt like to be in the right place. And then there's this huge interactive aspect. And all my work has been interactive. I really enjoy audience participation, giving audience members the chance to control their own journey, agency. Um, and then there's this huge kind of positive output, which at the beginning was kind of inspiration. And with Catherine's involvement and bringing aboard UCL actually became a scientifically measurable, quantifiable benefit. So it's called Uncertainty Experts. It is delivered as a three-part documentary, but by participating it, watching it and interacting with it, the audience are shifted equal to what you might be in, a, in, a, in an online therapy session or online you know, personal development program in a scientifically measurable improvement in their tolerance to uncertainty. And your tolerance to uncertainty has subcategory measures like preference, predictability, discomfort with ambiguity, you know, uh, decision-making, problem-solving. It's really profound work. And in these very uncertain times, it stands to benefit an awful lot of people. But we didn't know what to call it. And one of the most consistent bits of feedback I had from people was, this looks really fucking cool, but I don't know what it is. I bought my ticket because I trust you, Sam. I've read your book. I've seen, <laughs> but I don't know what I'm coming to. And, and so from a marketing point of view, this was very problematic. Like we worked with a really great uh, strategy planner. Like we couldn't somehow, in, in, at times you just want to call it an online course because then you'll bring people to it. But the trade-off is you really are trying to define, redefine a, a, a category and, and smash some genres together and prove you're doing something new. But the trade-off there is in, is in commercial relevance. <laughs> And, and conversion, because no one is sitting around thinking, God, what I really need is an interactive documentary that's going to transform my relationship with uncertainty. And we all know this, right? When the brief is actually an education one and you've got a new product and you have to educate the audience member that they need that product, well, then there's two briefs at once. And we we're almost doing three. We're, we're at the state in the world when everyone knows that anxiety is a huge issue, social inequality, diversity, and we've got a product that delivers on all of those. But first, we have to educate everyone that the meta problem is uncertainty. <laughs> then we have to educate people that we've developed this new solution that's a bit like many of these different things, but actually it's unique and, and on its own. And by that point, you know, you fucking lost everyone, haven't you? So it was incredibly hard to do this in the, in the current playbook. You know, you've got the two second attention span of people scrolling. Well, that's not going to work. You know, I've got 160 characters. Well, that's not going to work. You've got to go for the lowest common denominator. Well, that's not going to work. So that has been a very hard thing and I don't think we've nailed it or got it right and I don't think I've got an answer for it yet. So my big misconception was how easy it would be to sell something when we're deliberately being our own worst enemy presenting something so complicated. Yeah, I mean, that's a, <laughs> it was, yeah. my, my mom still doesn't know what I do. Uh, <laughs> but it is, I think, misconception is just one we 
you know, we gathered all completely anonymous for the UCL team, a lot of qualitative data about how people were reacting to uncertainty. And there, there was a lot of really interesting threads that came through. And one is, is, you know, everybody is really struggling with uncertainty. That was the first thing on a personal level and, and, and a professional level, I think, as well. And, you know, there are certain things that people take for granted. And the first is that, you know, emotion is not linked to rationality and, and emotional resilience which we all want and all work teams need emotional resilience isn't about not feeling emotion it's actually accepting that you feel fear accepting emotion knowing what it is um, and then using that to explore where you go from there and actually that's backed up by neuroscience if you disable the bit of the brain the amygdala that, that holds sort of all the emotion you can't make any decisions you can't even decide what to have for breakfast it's phenomenal you need the balance of your prefrontal cortex the decision making and, and the emotion part of the brain to be in balance and actually what we, we've been swung out of in the pandemic is that balance and we're sort of letting fear override us um and i think the sort of the second thing as well was about the, the act of creativity and, and being creative and we talk about the responses to to uncertainty being fear fucking stasis uh because sam likes that acronym but <laughs> i'm in marketing <laughs> i like i like acronyms and yeah. three point oh my god yes sorry can i just jump in Thank you, Sam, for saying it, because I, I, I'm, every single time I develop a, a lesson or a class, I put an acronym and it's just me. And I was like, maybe it's just me. No, it's marketers. OK, you unite. Catherine, please well, go on. Well, there was another sign of a concept called conviction narrative theory, which we use, which which acronyms for CNT. And none of the scientists knew why Sam was laughing at the time. And they were like, you know, CNT. <laughs> no one had pointed that out or thought about it. Yeah, and I think the second thing was this idea that in, you know, I always call it the swamp when I'm working with people, but it's it's the fog of uncertainty, basically. And you don't have a map. And the brain's natural reaction at that point is to double down on pre-existing beliefs, to surround yourself with people and ideas that justify you. And when things don't go as we think, or the world suddenly changes, you suddenly have a pandemic, or, you know, right now things aren't working, you get this feeling of cognitive dissonance, you get a physical sick feeling in your stomach that you want to get rid of. When actually one of the greatest things, people thought that was a bad feeling, but actually it's about knowing that that's a really good feeling. And that means you're in the new territory and there's the possibility and there's the moment to actually, rather than shut down that you want, open up. And if you're doing a sort of creative project, this is the, the best time when you can open up and, and just absorb new ideas and new people and you know bring everyone in and not feel that you have to rush to clarity. Your body and brain will tell you that you will have to rush to clarity because it hates uncertainty. But actually, if you can take the time for reflection, that's when you slowly start to build a new map. And what we realize is that nobody puts reflection on their to-do list, you know, and actually it's incredibly, for many reasons, vital in this process. And that's something that we really, people need to make space for in terms of when they, they're facing uncertainty, whether that's personal, whether it's on you know, project read. I was going to ask you actually about this because that's, that's what's interesting. Obviously, pushing to the converted in a way that I, I genuinely understand the importance of actually that self-reflection and introspection. So for me, it, it already, already sold it to me anyway. And I love something that you mentioned about finding a way to position it when it's something completely new, because I'll be honest, I'll put my hand up and say, I love the sound of it. And I, I said, I love the branding as well. So that helped. But even I struggled at first to understand actually how that was the journey was going to work for me. And I think it can be really hard. And I appreciate the honesty to be like when something is completely new and is almost understanding that how can I make people understand that this is not just um, the vitamin and painkiller pain sort of analogy. It's like this actually can help you and can actually have impactful results in your personal and professional lives. 
So I kind of wanted to ask you a bit more about that because I think it's really interesting to see both the, the results and the responses that you had, especially with the first round and, and everything with the documentary, and also some of the ways that it can impact people from a professional level, just because I know that a lot of, as I said, a lot of marketers and a lot of professionals find that is a bit redundant or making that sort of work in a personal development state is not as important for the job, is not going to have an impact on it. So I don't know if you want to kind of elaborate on that. Yeah, yeah, I'd love to. And I'll kind of work backwards, I think, through those. It is a hard thing for people to come to terms with why uncertainty is something they need to work on, because I imagine most people in an agency or client side are doing whatever in marketing. They're thinking, you know, I need to get my head around the fucking metaverse or NFTs or whatever the thing is. And we're permanently on this treadmill of trying to keep up. And we have this horrible sensation that whilst we're trying to keep up, what we do is we also want to productize our work. And mainly in, in, in marketing industry, we're selling units of our time in an ever diminishing sense. And it's been a long time since anybody ever charged anyone for an idea. And so we give away the most valuable assets of, of marketing and then chase clients around being kicked about for it. And everyone's in a bit of a race to the bottom. And everyone, you know, that conversation is, is very well known. But what's the opportunity? Like, what's the chance to do something different? Because we're so busy catching up with ourselves, there's very little of that reflection time to really rethink this thing. Now, marketing is very, very important. Storytelling is the, the baseline, most fundamental way that we convince human beings to do other things and how we change our lives around. And it's because it's connected to the essence of what makes us human and that, that, that kind of search for meaning on one sense and that fear of, of everything in the other sense. Um, and so we use these tools in marketing and we don't necessarily always un understand them because we get kind of caught up on the techniques in between. But what's the real brief at the moment? The most important brief in marketing is we live in a world which every single year, overshoot day, the, the day in which our, our, our natural resources run out gets earlier and earlier. This year it was in August. Last year it was the end of August. So the world is over 40% over its, its biosphere capacity. Okay, so that means that once you've got seven months through the year, any any product you're working on that is related to consumerism is nigh on a war crime or is going to look pretty fucking grim looking backwards 10 years from now when we're asking ourselves what we were doing when there was still time to do something. And if we were involved in shifting units, units of that, that thing, that, that thing on the shelf that we're just to move more of or our sustainability was, you know, pledges on packets rather than actually rethinking it. If we're going to move anywhere past the failures of the negotiations of COP26 into new business models and new technologies that we haven't even invented yet, we know the predictions for what we need to do around that shift away from consumerism into a form of sustainability. And if there's going to be a net zero revolution, that means a whole bunch of people doing what they've done before, what human beings have done so many times. I'm going to make this thing happen. I have no idea how. I'm going to lift this plane off and I haven't attached the wings yet. This is the opportunity when marketing has had such a leadership role so many times. I don't see many marketers playing a leadership role in terms of what the new brief is. And how do we turn around to our clients and businesses and inform them that audiences want this shift, this revolutionary shift? And it cannot just be the last mile of eking out the margin on you know, shifting a few more units to get next quarter's target. So that level of uncertainty, I think that is the true brief. What does marketing mean? in a world where consumerism has to end. That is an interesting brief. And there are so many great creative strategists, brilliant people in this industry where you've actually got a chance of demonstrating the leadership that won't come from anywhere else. 
We're very good in uncertainty, but we're not facing up the real brief. And the real brief is that our model, you know, the, the hours-based model is already redundant, but the real model of selling shit to people that don't really want it, that needs to change. I love that. I just wanted to say it, it really resonates again with what we are trying to do. And it's really interesting to see, like, as you say, the conversations that are starting to happen and that realization is almost how to genuinely trying to go towards that direction. And you briefly mentioned that how to, feel like you're ticking the box of saying yes we're doing we're making a difference and then you say well but are you still selling me shit that I don't need or that I don't want and it's kind of it's a bit of the reckoning and I think it can be interesting especially when you're working with the team and kind of making that decision to bringing that up and almost kind of like not just pledging to something but actually making a, a honest difference within that I was wondering also when it comes to from a per, from a professional level but also on a personal level I find that especially in marketing, but in general, when you run a business, especially a small business, you realize that there's a lot of uncertainty because things change really fast. And I find that I think understanding how you can deal with uncertainty on a personal level can really help you also then face some of these other smaller things that happen on a day to day. So I wanted to ask you, Catherine, how, what would you think was, is one of the interesting tools or the interesting shifts in mindset that can happen when it comes to really starting to embrace uncertainty, something that you talked about already, more from a, from a human level as a person mm-hmm. that you can maybe see in a data and everything else. Yeah, I think that's sort of one of my favorite things about this project when Sam brought me on it, firstly was to, to explore the actual human experience outside of a lab. You know, thousands of people came through and it gave this huge insight on how people's minds are working. It was a real privilege to do. And I think we were really keen that throughout the, the sort of the series, we give people really practical tools as well. I think the one that I the one that I personally find the the most useful when we're faced with uncertainty is actually reframing failure. Because we we looked at these, um, we took different people who were amazing in these incredible moments of uncertainty, from being in gangs to being taken captive in the RAF and things like this. And, and what did they have? What were the skills they had that made them push through to, to turn it around and one of them was reframing failure and we in our audience about those things like so 87 percent of them said that their greatest fear was fear of failure and it really does hold us back on a really genuine genuine level because you know we die on our own we have evolved to be social creatures and need social interactions so failure is very high on our agenda of to, to, to swerve but actually when we asked people late in the series what is the thing they would regret the most they said missed opportunity. And what we found, and that's a 90% of people said missed opportunity. And what we found uh, looking at all the experts that we interviewed is that they had this amazing ability to suddenly reframe and actually look more at the missed opportunity rather than the failure. And that actually you can see in the body and the brain, it reduces the fear response and it kind of gives you this boost and this motivation that pulls you forward. And it's quite a simple thing. And that, that sort of being able to reframe thing comes up again and again. We, we later down the line teach people to reframe their negativity bias because sort of the, the you know, 60,000 thoughts you have a day, 85% are negative and depressingly 95% are the same as the day before. And yet out of those 95% of, of the day before worries, only about 1% come through and most of them you handle better. So we teach people sort of cognitive restructuring, how to actually be objective. And in the lab, we do this by getting people to talk about their, their worries and the voice in their head. And we put it in a, in a metaverse avatar. In fact, <laughs> we get the avatar to talk say those words back to them and they're like god that's ridiculously negative and things like that so i think being learning the tools to, to reframe 
your negativity bias, but just reframe failure and think about missed opportunity. Um, not only has has a sort of a motivational effect, but you actually see it in the body reducing people's fear response, which is quite powerful. And I'll just add something there to that, Fab. Something you said, you know, we're seeing people in a marketing sense pledging for something, and you know, and and for anyone wrestling with these things in the industry, it's very difficult because it is this quite existential moment. You know, there's a lot of movement going on. You know, recruitment is is in a place I've not really seen it um, in a long while. There's there's all manner of uncertainties in and around the industry. There's a huge shifts in terms of the bigger macro players that have coming out. I've never seen the kind of some of the mergers and acquisitions that have gone on in marketing. We've seen lots of that, the kind of consultancy blend overlaps and really interesting new players have come through. You know, it's a very uncertain time, but amongst all that is the opportunity. And that's the thing that we're offering. We can see from history that uncertainty typically leads to breakdown or breakthrough. So what's the difference? Catherine and her work has proven that this is a uh, you know, there's there's neurology and psychology that explains we have more control over this response than, 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 than we previously thought. And if you bring that back to your question around the marketing industry, there's this moment, right? And marketing has marketing's done quite a good job of aligning itself, of supporting causes. You know, there's some obvious fails out there, but it's it's pretty absent now, the idea that you can't, you know, be behind the right kind of causes you have to have a stance around inclusivity you have to have a stance around social inequality and that's that's pretty amazing from a few years ago where most brands would would shy away now you cannot be seen to not shy away but that means we've caught up to a place where we should have been a long time ago and it's not adequate for where we actually are and if we just get good at pledging ourselves to things you know and then pat ourselves on the back we're congratulating congratulating ourselves for arriving a decade late to where we should have been and the next stage is this moment of not just standing for something but standing up to something like there is a, it's a time to fight and fighting is really scary fighting risks your job you know that has many repercussions for, for a business fighting means saying no saying no to clients challenging you know the back-end systems or the supply chains it really does mean not just saying we put our support behind this with a nice poster and a bit of a, a, a brand refresh, but we're going to say no to this. We're actually going to call someone else out and start some fights, positive ones, of course, but there is no change that's going to come without some challenge. And there is no success that doesn't you know, begin in a bit of a mess. And, and this, this, this fine line that we've been treading for so long, trying to get it right, trying to get it just into those two seconds of attention. And I think that's the next stage. And that's why, this is a really important moment to reframe things like fear because as Catherine said, everyone's fear is failure and the marketing industry finds itself constantly there between, between client and consumer, desperately trying not to get it wrong. But we're in a moment where probably getting it wrong for a while is gonna really help us because the creative breakthrough we need isn't gonna be achieved by following the kind of patterns that we've that have got us where we are. I love that because it ties in. I love that what you mentioned, all of it, but especially that, you know, change what can bring in will bring most times challenges and these challenges getting comfortable with them is a great way to actually understand the reason why we're doing what we are doing and it's almost like probably both of you I mean fellow author but also like semantics is also a very powerful thing and obviously when it comes to reframing some of it can also be tied in with the words that we use and so I find a lot of the time when you think of challenges instead of failures or lessons instead of failures can also be a way to start understanding what does it really take you to fail? What does failure looks like? And are you making it easy for yourself to go down that road and that path? And that's why I love the idea of reframing. And I want to actually piggyback on the challenge. 
um, mentioned that we did that. And I want to ask you for both of you, uh, what were, was the one challenge that you faced when it came to the project? It can be the ideation of it. We talked about the marketing side of it, but I was wondering if there was one small challenge that you faced that you're glad you experienced throughout the inception of Uncertainty um, Experts. Catherine, first yourself, maybe. What was the biggest challenge? I mean, just for me professionally, you know, I work a lot in labs and science and it was a real challenge to, to not either, either sort of bullshit with science and make it relevant and make it useful rather than just go, here's some great science, don't we sound clever? To be like, here's some great science that's actually, as it should be, science to, to be applied into real life, to create something that is useful, to give you some toolkits, to give you skill sets. You know, it was a sort of like actually getting science to up its game because all this stuff goes on in labs and like, what's the actual point unless you can turn it into a sort of creative intelligence? And I think that for me is, is, is where science really comes to the fore, where it can be turned into creative intelligence that can go into everything from the design of the soundscape that we designed with Ross Godfrey from Achieva, with different beds of nature sounds to, to elicit sort of creativity and alpha waves in the brain through to actually, you know, how can you turn this into a toolkit that everybody can understand, you know, that my mum can watch and understand, but also, yeah, is, is applicable and useful and, and creative. So I think that for me was the best chance because I could have just gone in and been like, hey, it's a neuroscience and, you know, bug it off. And can I say something about that, actually? There's also a question within there, but I find that it's really big to be able to create content and to, and to give people something that they know they can learn from, but also they can take action upon, because I think that's the biggest issue. Like we consume so much information and there's so much information out there. And as Sam mentioned at the beginning, the inception of online courses, that's a crowded market because people found that they actually enjoy learning. But without the application of that, as you said as well, especially with some of the biggest points that you made, if you don't learn how to reframe it, you cannot use it on a daily basis or, you know, in these instances, it's great knowledge, but it's not going to get us much further, is it? Yeah. Yeah, there was that, exactly that. And when you're trying to, there, the stream is so strong at the moment towards this reductive notion that everything must be quicker everything must be shorter we have less and less attention yet at the same time we need more and more and more so therefore the implicit message is surface 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 skate all these things yet we are living in this increasingly complex and interconnected time which requires time to get your head around it to understand it where do you sit within this where are you on the on the intersectionality debate fuck me i don't know it's incredibly complex but wait a minute where are you actually in climate well i don't know okay well here's two really great phrases that you can retweet you know it's incredibly hard to care and want to care and want to understand and want to connect and do so meaningfully with very little time and so these things are at diametric odds and so the the scariest or most failure wrought part of all of this for me was the insistence that we did it live mm because that feels unusual in this moment and time. And you had to come to a screening. You had to choose your screening time. It started on time. Actually, it didn't always start on time. Um, <laughs> it broadly was meant to start on time and finish on time with no catch up and no recording. And the upset, you know, this triggered in people. What do you mean? Because we are used to being able to binge watch, do things on our time frame. I want the short version. Can I just have the takeaways, please? And it really annoyed people. And, mm. and it was really scary. You know, we all know what, you know, we've all been doing endless Zoom calls and there certainly isn't another Zoom call, but standing up on a live soundstage with green screens, you know, live editing this thing, going out to thousands of people and we tripped up again and again. You know, Catherine's a professional actress. You know, I've, I've done public speaking for a long time, but it was so scary and it was such an adrenaline rush. 
And there were so many small and big failures in that live delivery and so many annoyed customers. What do you mean I have to be there? And I can't now attend next week's screening. I need to have the catch up. And, yeah. and, and we pushed hard against a tide. And I think, well, we haven't seen the final evaluations for those who managed to make it. And as difficult as it was to make it through three live episodes, um, the effects will be really profound of, of us coming together as human beings, of that connection and the synchrony that takes place when we do that. And then if yeah. we're going to get towards finding real solutions, it's got to be by getting better at coming together. So that was really hard. And there were many failures caused of it. And we have a big and difficult question for ourselves about how we retain the magic elements of it being live and make it more accessible. But the line that stuck with me is from one of our uncertainty experts called Dr. Ming. I've always hated the, the posters of, you know, fail fast and fail better. I think they sound cool, but I've never liked failing. And I don't know anybody who does. And so you can say it's great as much as you want, but I don't want to fucking do it. Thanks very much. I want to be an infinite success. Um, and I, you know, I think everyone's on a spectrum of that ego. So what Dr. Ming suggested is considering failure as an option. So this thing is going to go one of a number of different ways. And in failing, which is a, a valid option and likely, what are we going to get from that? Are we going to learn this, this, and this? We're going to recover from it in this, this, and this. And so as I started to reframe failure as an option, it began to feel practical and something that I could tolerate a bit more. and wasn't just pretending that there was lessons in this failure, but actually there might be some agency in it as well. 100%. And I'd have to say, like, the live thing was a really good chat. Remind for me from the world of science that actually the most powerful tools we have are coming together live and we know that from science and one of the reasons we did it is that over the even us here right now doing this we're boosting our oxytocin levels that make us feel more bonded and improve our immune system we're also probably our heartbeats will have synchronized all these things but also that what the basis of it was wasn't the science it was the stories and how often do we actually sit live and tell stories together and our brains are evolved to learn from stories they are not evolved to learn from facts that's why we're rubbish at it um, you know, we the most powerful thing we have is stories. And there was this lovely sort of mixture of, of doing this sort of high tech thing with this very simple, we've come together live to hear a story. Um, the science was just to help explain it and to help give people tools off the back of it. To, to, but actually that coming together, the storytelling, you know, and we can see in people's minds how powerful storytellers are. Um, so, yeah, that, and the challenge of the fact that I was a lot shorter than Sam, so I had to stand on yoga blocks. So I was the same height. <laughs> that was my personal challenge. Really? For reals? I love that. I love that. For a while it was cookbooks, but they were too slippy. We <laughs> shout with a yoga blog. You know what? I, I'm kind of, I'm really happy to, to hear, and obviously it will be interesting, probably will come after you say the, the feedback and everything, if you decide to stick with live, because we had a similar conundrum with my other company, Creative Impact, in the way that through discussions, we were trying to figure out going forward, because we do a lot of online events and online workshops. That's one of the things that I do anyway in general. And I really love the idea of offering it live and letting people know that if they don't catch it live, then they don't, because I find that then at least people show up and it's like, give them the option of the replay. It feels comfortable, it feels safe, but then people don't do it. And I think, I mean, you don't, you don't need me to say that, but well done for sticking to your guns, especially for this first round, because I think it's, it's a reminder just that we kind of prefer the option, but we, I think a lot of us internally know that even if we're upset about it, we're actually kind of happy that we have to make the time to show up live because at least we're going to show up. And I think it's yeah. something that it shows a lot about where we've come as a society when it comes to the way that we consume content and also a level of respect for ourselves and other people that are going to show up live. So it will be interesting to see what you decide to do next, because as you say, it's hard. It's a fine line between accessibility, 
but also making sure that people show up and people actually commit and they take the time and they're there to listen and, and engage. Yeah. Absolutely. And I think that there's something really in that about the self-respect that we pay ourselves. I mean, I've, I've booked so many online courses that I've never gone back to, right? And it's like that, same as the thing, we'll buy the book that we want to read. And we've got this, uh, I, I think it's called, Op I've got this, optimistic time fulfillment syndrome and it's this idea and it's why you know someone that you love will say i'll be there in five minutes you know like, but where are you i'm in hackney like you're never gonna is that be a re is that a reframing of bad time management you just turned the phrase around optimate what did you say a gift to you <laughs> <laughs> optimistic time fulfillment syndrome i mean right. I, I might be making up words i'm loving it but you know how many books have I bought knowing full well like the part it's just a big Catherine I was discussing this the other day the, the, the lists that we write ourselves that are unachievable in that day and that we will then beat ourselves up for not doing what is that disconnect between the reality for it and the hardest but best most successful days are the ones where you go all I'm going to do today is this it's the most important thing I can do and, and the feeling of sacrifice against the other stuff or irresponsibility it feels more irresponsible to say I'll do one thing well than it does to say I'll try and do 20 things and I haven't done them knowing full well deep down that you won't and so that that notion of a of a live event of there being other people of respect to yourself and you really see that a lot of people, the one brilliant um, response we got, and we've had so much engagement, it's been off the chart, like and the, the, I've never worked on something that's had such a high promoter score. And um, one brilliant woman says she, she looks forward to it so much, she turns all the lights off, she wraps herself up, she creates this like cocoon experience, and she's just there, like giving herself time to, to do it. And that's the other, the, the reason of doing it live, so that you're forced this week of reflection and, and we design the sessions to be really high arousal. They're quite intense. Lots of people, you know, it's not for everyone. Lots of people find, you know, there's visuals going in the background. We're talking, we're asking you to reflect. There's stimulus coming at you. And then after this really intense moment, you have a week and people realize over the course of the week, what's gone on, the things that they've reflected on. They've been prompted with questions that they respond in their phones. Those reflections are sent back to you. And so is this, you're, you're, we're synthesizing the process of human reflection. And then there's, there's, there's conceptual information that comes from Catherine on email during that week. And that part of it, I think, we, we haven't really tested this, but is the bit that means that it makes a difference over time. It's not the hour long sessions themselves, but the forced reflection, waiting, catch up, and then the chance to do it again. So there's, there's something in that as a, as a methodology that we've yet to fully understand so it can be systemized, but it's a pushback against the surface level exploration that we're we're you know we're very used to professionally scan this report pull out the headlines turn it into a pitch suddenly it's a campaign and now all of a sudden we're trying to convince a bunch of people based on what was that where did where did you get that insight where did you get that trend report you know knowing full well that's been recycled three times so and i think you know let's go right back to the beginning it's why i'm a bit cynical of the metaverse because it feels to me like there's there's a there's a moment we're in a moment of time when it's really our responsibility to get real with what's going on around us. And we have a tendency because of what's going on around us is pretty scary to run away from that. You know, we love a distraction much more than we like to deal with the difficult reality. And then all of a sudden, you know, life catches up with you and then, oh dear. And an early part of my research around this was that it's quite well known. There's this piece of research of people's regrets when they're dying. And there's these very, very common regrets that people have. And, and that's, you know, poignant, but it's also a little bit basic. Like people, the large three regrets are like not spending enough time with people you love, travel, you know, not having a very good work balance. And I'm fairly convinced that in this moment of uncertainty, 
and opportunity, the real universe we need to be stepping into is kind of the one that's within us, you know, knowing who we are, knowing who we want to be. And if things are really about the shit's going to go down and it's time to make something very different happen, having a, a, some sense of who you are and what's important is going to be really in, important to you and to who we become. And I'm, I'm wary of oversold distractions at a moment when finding out what, what all this means is probably quite important to everyone. First, I want to say again, thank you so much for being so open, for answering all of my questions and beyond, for uh, indulging me in Metaverse chats as well. Uh, sometimes I go far and wide. And, and thank you so much for creating what you created and really challenging the norm and giving us some incredible tools that can really help us. Because I think, again, it's as you both mentioned in different ways, it's time that we become the challenges, that we uh, stop being afraid of challenging old beliefs and ideas and actually try and really make a positive difference in our life and others. So again, who would like to tell me once more <laughs> where you can find more about the project, how can people get involved? Who would like to give me the spiel, the final spiel? Um, I think you fully. We are going to keep these things live. Uh, we, we are intending to do a series of them over 2022 and not beyond that. We think it's you know, a series of performances and we want to get really good at them. Um, so there's a limited time to do it. We've put the first two up and they're available at uncertaintyexperts.com. They're discounted currently. If you have been having a really hard time or if you're out of work or if you're frontline services, there's also a, a special discount code which will get you 80% off. So we're really trying to make it as accessible to absolutely everybody. And we're going to start making some of the information that we've had, some of the qualitative work, all the data, as Catherine said, is anonymized, but we've got some great insights. And one of the amazing things that I've really loved about the science community is how open it is. So unlike much of the marketing, and, and brand world that can be very closed about what we've discovered we're going to be giving the insights and the understanding that we get from each one each time that we're running this away so either follow us follow us on the usual channels we're always just the uncertainty experts or come along to uncertaintyexperts.com and if you're just thinking that this is all a bit weird and as we said at the beginning you don't really understand it at uncertaintyexperts.com, there's a free test that, um, that one of the scientists from UCL that Catherine brought aboard has prepared for us. And you can you take it in about three minutes and it will give you an assessment of your current uncertainty tolerance. And it will give you some bits of clues and content, which will give you a bit of a taste of what it is that we're trying to do in the show, but won't cost you anything. Um, and hopefully we'll just give you a bit of insight on yourself. Thank you so much for listening. Head to oldmarketingschool.com to find out more about the topics that we covered in this week's class. If you want to make your teachers happy, then hop onto iTunes and leave us a five-star review. Oh, and don't forget to spread the love on Instagram at Alt Marketing School. Until next time.